Hello, bookworms. Welcome to The Best Book Ever. I'm your host, Julie Strauss, and this is the podcast where we get to know interesting people by asking them about their favorite books. Unbroken by Lauren Hillenbrand is the true story of Louis Zamperini, a man who survived a crash at sea during World War II, only to wash up at a Japanese POW camp where he endured horrific torture. It's an incredible book, not only because it's well-written, but because it makes you consider the human capacity for both good and evil. Who better to discuss this book with me than Jerry Fu, a conflict resolution coach who helps Asian American leaders advance in their career and life journeys. I had such a great time talking with Jerry, and you're going to love hearing why he thinks Unbroken is the best book ever. Hi, Jerry. Welcome to the Best Book Ever podcast. Hi, Julie. Thanks for having me. It's so nice to meet you. I am so fascinated by your work. Will you tell my listeners what you do? Yeah, yeah. I split time between being a pharmacist, but also building my business as a conflict resolution coach for Asian American leaders. What does that mean? My goal for my ideal clients, which are Asian American leaders in their 20s and 30s, uh, is to help them gain clarity uh, around their next steps when it comes to resolving conflict in their lives, whether it's at work or with their families or within themselves. Uh, We give them the confidence to do these steps. And then uh, this is to allow them to experience closure uh, as they resolve these conflicts so that they can move on to, you know, bigger, better challenges or the things that they really love doing. So these unresolved conflicts in relationships or other things aren't distracting them from their greater purpose. Can I ask why you focus specifically on the Asian American leadership experience? Yeah. um, Just because, you know, Asians tend to be very conflict diverse, right. And in an honor shame culture, uh, where we're taught to let the other person save face, right? We're just kind of taught to kind of internalize and suppress whatever frustrations we might be feeling instead of being trained to uh, voice them in a way that is respectful, even if it causes some, you know, slight disagreements, at least, hey, you know what? I don't want this sitting on my chest, um, you know, or if even if in the moment I, I don't need to express my frustrations to possibly embarrass them, how do I still address them in a way where we can sort out our frustrations and make sure that our relationship doesn't blow up into, or devolve into something unhealthy? So there's, um, correct me if I'm misunderstanding this, there, mm-hmm. is, there is both that pressure that comes from inside the community the mm-hmm. conflict-averse pressure inside the community. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. there is also that unfair pressure of larger American society for the model minority pressure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, and yeah. So and they're, they're both weighing down. Yeah, you know, and you know, you just have to take it one step at a time, one day at a time. And so, yeah, when you are able to give people, you know, some some talk, uh, some phrases, right, that you can say in the moment, oh, this is what I need to say, right? Like one of my favorite phrases that I learned uh, when – slackers try to put pressure on you and they'll say something like jerry i thought you were my friend and you say something like don't drag our friendship into this right like i wouldn't have learned that on my own i had to learn that from friends who who knew how to push back against people that were trying to leverage you know cut me some slack and you're like no unacceptable right so, yeah things like that. work is work friendship is friendship and part mm-hmm. of leadership is really keeping that balance or that mm-hmm. boundary i guess yeah right? yeah absolutely yeah. yeah can you tell me about your reading life yeah. <laughs> yeah. So early on in life, man, Judy Bloom books. Oh man. You know, uh, you know, love I've, I've listened to, you know, 
Tales of the Fourth Grade Nothing several times over after I found out that she read her own like audiobooks. I'm just like, oh my goodness, this is, I wish I said this as a kid, right? To hear the author read her own books. I didn't see this coming. Yeah, you know, little things, right? And so um, like middle school, some friends of mine got me into Forgotten Realms books, right? Some of the fantasy stuff that was really fun to read. Um, In particular, there is a one, a series called The Cleric Quintet by R.A. Salvatore. That was really, really good. Um, But then uh, and that's why I wanted to start there because I had this love for reading, right? Like I, my parents didn't count book purchases against my allowance. And so that was like the loophole and you're like, okay, I'm just going to buy lots of books because <laughs> I mean, there's stuff to read anyway, but then like eighth grade summer reading happened, right? When it's like Dickens and Steinbeck and then like you get into things like um, Anna Karenina uh, you know, and that was actually not bad despite the 800 pages, but the part that really scared me was like all the Victorian literature, like awakening and Scarlet letter and things. And where it's like, all of this is basically woman has a fair and dies. And you're just like, I don't know why you need to write this book 10 times. And why all 10 authors managed to somehow like make money off the same plot. So, um, yeah, so I was scarred by, you know, high school reading for a while. Yeah. And then in college, it, it started to creep back in, like, the the, the love for reading. Because for a modern American history class, we read uh, Malcolm X's autobiography, Ralph Olson's Invisible Man, uh, The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test by Thomas Wolfe. That was a really fun one. And then I kind of put books on, you could say, hiatus for a little bit, just because I was in the middle of working for the first time after pharmacy school. And so I didn't spend as much time reading as many books. In fact, I'm not sure if I remember reading anything meaningful like during that time. But then after I got fired, that was when I really um, doubled down on, okay, I just got to learn more about leadership, you know? And so reading some spiritual literature in the meantime, like Francis Chan's Crazy Love, Forgotten God, uh, David Plass Radical, really interesting stuff. Uh, but yeah, once I got into like the nonfiction self-improvement space, um, that's when it started to really get voracious where it's like, okay, Chip and Dan Heath, all of the books that they, that they write, like made to stick switch decisive. Um, those are all really, really good. Um, I've read Celeste Ong. I've started to go back into some fiction just for the storytelling aspect. That's been really good. Uh, Dan Pink has some really excellent books like Drive and When. Michael Crichton was also another favorite uh, growing up. And, you know, all the books that they found posthumously as well. uh, Really interesting stuff. So um, it was a combination of that. So I use the Libby app, which I love because it's free and you just get to you know, unlock all these audiobooks you wouldn't have otherwise. So yeah, right now it's my mix of reading is a combination of self-help, uh, nonfiction, but also some interesting stories, uh, you know, just because, of, you know, I'm always a fan of like intrigue. So I actually listened to the Bourne trilogy. Uh, so that was really neat. Yeah. Um, oh, I bet that's great on audio. Yeah, it's nice. You, it's pretty long, just a, mm-hmm. just a warning. But um, yeah, if you listen to things on 1.5 speed, you know, kind of makes you, forces you to pay attention and you feel like you're beating time. So, you know, <laughs> even better. Superman. Yeah, so right. Is, is that your preferred format is audiobooks? Um, I still prefer uh, paper copies if there's something that's really good. Like Eric Barker has a really good book called Barking Up the Wrong Tree and just evaluating our definition of success. And so if there's a book that's really good that I really want to draw information from, 
I'll, uh, I'll buy the paper copy so I can like really underline stuff and, you know, things like that. But um, in my busy days, yeah, audiobooks are usually the best because, you know, I sit in a lot of traffic here in Houston. And so it's like, well, you may as well learn something while you're just waiting for stuff to happen. I have a really hard time with nonfiction on audio because I, learning for me always involves writing it down. Yeah, it should. Yeah. But, but you can get, you get a lot out of when you do nonfiction on audio, you can still get something out of it. Well, you have to, you have to play it on loop. Like, uh, uh. you know, yeah, you just, you just kind of after three or four times, you're just like, okay, did I really distill <laughs> everything I needed to, or were there things that I really need to review again and again? There's, you know, it's, it's like any useful book, right? You never want to just read through something once and say, okay, I learned everything I need to done. What's your discernment process, particularly for nonfiction? There's contrasting information in every single self-help or nonfiction book. Yeah. And, and I tend to find it overwhelming. How do you, how do you pick books? For me, you know, I ask myself, what are my friends reading? Right. Because if my friends are reading it and I respect their path, like I got the only reason I knew about the design of your life book was that, you know, the pharmacist I learned leadership from, I saw it on his uh, audio reader and I'm just like, oh, I'm going to take a picture of that, find it on my Libby. And here we go. Cause I want to learn what he's learning. Cause I like the way he's going. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, another useful resource though, is Goodreads. If you, you know, it's easy to create a free account and now, right. Um, you have an extra resource on top of Amazon reviews, right. Where people have a, a network where they can share ratings on books uh, that they like or dislike. And, and so it's just like a nice social proof to say, okay, is this something a lot of people are reading and a lot of people are willing to leave feedback on that's useful. So um, Goodreads is a simple way. If you're like, I don't have any friends who read, they all just rather binge on Netflix. You're just like, okay, well, here's a, here's a community, um, you know, that is reading actively and connects over good books. So here you go. Here's a bunch of readers and they, and they'll be happy to be your resource and they don't charge you anything. So (laughs) here you go. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get right back to our conversation with Jerry in just a minute. But first I want to take a quick break to remind you that a great way to support this podcast for free is to hit the subscribe button on your podcast player. So you never miss a bookish conversation. Don't forget to share this episode with your favorite World War II buff and on your favorite social media channel. Make sure you tag me when you do. I would love to see it, and I am so grateful for your support. Now, back to the show. Do you remember how you found this book that we're talking about today, Unbroken by Lauren Hillenbrand? Oh, it's a great story. So um, the church I was attending at the time, this was 2012. So the church I was attending at the time actually brought Louis Zamperini in to speak to us. Oh my and, gosh. Yeah. But this is while he was still alive. And yeah, they they would tell us, yeah, you know, you know, this event's coming up. Yeah. Read his book. You know, it's available in the church bookstore. But the funny thing is I didn't actually read it. Uh, before meeting him or hearing him talk. Like I just, I gave the book to a bunch of friends. I said, Hey, this is really amazing book. Da da da. He's got some crazy life story. Uh, but then when I did finally have the time to sit down and read it while I was on vacation, um, it was the fastest 400 something pages I'd ever read uh, because it just was that compelling. You're like, I can't put this down. Was he a good speaker? What, what amazing. Was he? Like for a guy in his age, in his nineties, like he was amazingly coherent. Like he was making jokes. He went to USC Southern Cal for undergrad mm-hmm. uh, for his alma mater. And he was making some joke about when he was being interrogated by one of the Japanese uh, officers. He found out that the guy was like a UCLA grad. So they're, you know, they're <laughs> rivals and stuff. And then one of the funnier stories he said was when he talked about 
after he was, you know, shipwrecked and fighting off sharks and someone said, Oh, you know, you should try to get, you know, reimbursed for the fact that, you know, your plane went down over the Pacific and he submitted his paperwork and the government rejected it, calling it unauthorized travel. <laughs> He's telling <laughs> these stories, you know, in his nineties and yeah, you know, his mobility is limited, but just the things he was saying. I remember one of the things that stuck with me is when he said, you know, I used to ask people who their heroes were and I got so sick of the answers. I got so disgusted by the answers. I just stopped asking the question. Um, how do you describe this book when you, when, when you hand it off to your friends and say, you got to read this book, how would you describe what it's about? I tell them, you know, it's a story of resilience and, uh, amazement and forgiveness and disbelief because you will not believe that like it was possible for one guy to go through what he went through and to come through on it as someone who is kind and reflective and um, and uh, pleasant right because you could have every reason to be bitter at some of the things that he went through and it put my life in perspective at the time because yeah you know I was still in the really you know, um, uncertain job situation. And I really had to admit that, you know what, this is nothing compared to what this guy's going through. Uh, and he came out stronger because, you know, his story at the time was not being, not finished being written and neither was mine. The movie definitely didn't do this justice for sure. And a lot of people disagreed with the way, uh, you know, Angelina Jolie produced it. And there's only so much you can do, right? Two and a half hours is not going to justify, uh, his entire story. Maybe, well, for me personally, right? Like I would love to see it used in like uh, an American history class, whether it's in high school or college, because you know, you're not going to have a problem getting people to read this book mm-hmm. about a true story that overlays a lot of interesting context with the kind of wars and, you know, historical events that this book overlays. So I would love to see that approach, you know, in school. There is a young reader's version of this because two of my kids uh, read it in middle school. They read oh, nice. the, okay. the middle school version, which took out, because there are some hard things to oh, read yeah. that are maybe a little too much for young people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But there there are textbook versions of this. And both mm-hmm. of my kids who read it in school mm-hmm. were just riveted nice. by this story. Yeah. What? What is your take on this? Do you do you read this and have a secret feeling like I could get through that? Oh, there's no way. Like I because <laughs> uh, he talks saying that. <laughs> yeah, no, I God, no, because uh, one of the key moments he talked about was just the the power of your mindset, right? Because one of the key moments in the book he talks about that he shares was when um, you know, he and his two other, you know, friends, uh, soldiers in this draft are Mm -hmm. trying to like pace their rations and figure out a strategy to survive. And Mac panics and eats like all the chocolate. And, you know, he and his other, you know, Phil are like, you know, okay, we're just going to imagine meals and we're going to keep each other going. And the irony was that Mac's panic and his lack of confidence in their ability to survive and the possibility that they could survive is actually what maybe caused him to die first. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for him and Phil to, yeah, they're emaciated by the time they wash up on shore, you know, they've been strafed at and attacked by sharks, things like that. And so that's what at first, you know, taught me the power of the mind at the time. No, I'm just like, I don't even know I'm going to find my next paycheck. I don't know how this guy manages to survive in a raft uh, without food. You know, everything says presumes dead. 
so then do you think now with this new understanding that you have, you must look at everything through a conflict resolution lens. Do you think with this training now that you could, you are a different person and, and you would survive it differently? I, I would believe in the possibility. I think execution is always going to be the truest test as to whether or not yeah. I really believed I could do this. I, but no, I do not want you to go through this. No, no, no. I, I hope, uh, yeah, I, we don't need to write the story again. No, but, no, no. <laughs> but I do, I, I, that's how I approach a lot of things in life now, right? I've seen certain areas of my life where I, I found this fixed mindset, right? Where I just didn't want to believe I could be good at something. And then it's like, well, what if I could be good at it, right? What if I, maybe I don't need to be the best at it. What if I just get better at it? And, you know, next thing I know, right, um, yeah, I unlock some skill sets that I wouldn't have had otherwise, you know. So do you think that's the difference between Mac and Louie is that Mac went in with this panic mindset and Louie went in with just, let's just get through this next thing? Yeah, partly. It's, a- yeah, approach just it like a recipe? Yeah, shrink it, shrink the change, right? James Clear, Atomic Habits, right? That's another great one. Uh, just, hey, what do I need to do today, Right. There is some macro level things you want to make sure that what you're doing today actually helps you get towards like the overall def- like destination. But at the same time, you just need to focus on, well, what do I need to do today, right? What do I need to do in the next five or 10 minutes? Uh, and, you know, yeah, don't let like the two minute like urgency rule dictate your entire day. But, you know, hey, just what's the next best thing? Okay, right now, like, okay, panicking and eating all our food doesn't leave us anything for tomorrow. Okay, what if we just imagine having a meal? Let's, you know, try to kill one more bird. Let's try to, you know, pace ourselves, get some water, things like that. And when you, you know, that's the key for any entrepreneur or anyone that's trying to move forward in any kind of self-improvement space, right? What is your next action? What is your next minimum viable action? And when you, you know, are willing to realize, hey, you know what? I just need to pick up the phone. I just need to click that button on Amazon, uh, you keep things in very manageable, feasible steps. And next thing you know, you're generating your own momentum and now you're moving forward. I don't think I have it. I was thinking as I was, this was my second time reading this. And I mm-hmm. was thinking I had the same reaction as this, as when mm-hmm. I read um, Into Thin Air by John Krakauer. That's the one where they go up uh, Mount Everest, I think. And it's oh wow, just a disaster. Okay. Yeah. And also that book, um, 127 Hours. Did you ever see that movie about the guy who was trapped? Oh, I, I read like a Rick Riley column on the guy, but I never saw the movie based on it. The guy who amputated his own arm and because it was stuck under boulder. Yeah, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so I read things like this and I just go, I would have just died. Like, yeah, no, I, I, I would totally do that. Be like, ah, yeah, I'd rather not just cut off my arm. I'd, I'd rather just hold Absolutely on to it. Absolutely not. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. But what does, what does stop me is I think I do have it in me if my kids are involved. That's fair. You know what I mean? And so I wonder why I think it doesn't exist for me just alone. I would go, Mm -hmm. okay, well, this is the end of me. I guess the sharks. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I, that's a good question because I'm actually reading a book right now called being mortal by a a surgeon by Atul Gawande. And he talks about, like when older people are alone and they don't have a purpose, but as soon as you give them like some parakeets, all of a sudden they start to take the focus off themselves and, and serve somebody else. And now there's a meaning in that, right? Even if it's like a tiny thing, but they're not wallowing in self-pity, they realize because when you start to serve, you realize what you're capable of doing to serve another person or another thing. And then you're not, you're not feeling sorry for yourself as much, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. 
What did you think of who he became later? Because I have to say his capacity for forgiveness Mm -hmm. boggled my mind. Yeah, me too. I know I don't have that. And I was Mm. raised by good people. Yeah. You know what I mean? I know that's what we're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. I would not have it. I would have not Mm -hmm. forgiven the way he did. Mm -hmm. Do you think he could have? No. I'm a, no, I mean, cause this is part of my journey is just recognizing, you know, I would resent God for some of the people he allowed in my life for some of the things he, you know, um, people he put that I had no control over and I just had to deal with bullies, you know, growing up. Right. Mm-hmm. I was an easy target as a kid, right. This frail Asian kid in a Southern town that, you know, dealing with parental expectations, you know, dealing with the fact that you feel like an outsider, you're too American for your, Taiwanese relatives, you know, you know, and but you're too foreign for your American friends who make fun of your accent and uh, from both sides, right? And you know, you're looking for the and you you do your best not to feel like, oh no, the world wronged me and the world owes me because of what I had to deal with, right? When it's nothing compared to what Zamparini (laughs) went through, and you know, just to kind of keep perspective again, hey, you know what? you know, you're not that special in terms of dealing with injustice. While we don't condone these things, right? What if God is using them, assuming you believe in God or some higher power, right? What if God is using these to actually shape you to become someone who can forgive, right? And it, and I've learned, for, I have to trust that forgiveness is a skill and a muscle like any other. You only get better with practice, right? And that's what I'm learning the hard way now where, you know, I'm in a relationship and it's like, Oh, like, I don't want to admit I just did that, right? To ask for forgiveness. And then, oh, you know, she's in a bad mood or she said something hurtful and I can't just, you know, just fight back because that wouldn't be the the wise response, right? So, yeah, yeah, so it is. And that's my encouragement to everyone else out there. Hey, you know what? A lot of things are just skills I just need to put time and effort into getting better at. You don't have to be the best at it. Right. But just shrink the change. Just get better at it today. Like that's all we're asking you to do. I love thinking of it as a muscle. That's so mm-hmm. great because it just gives you permission to just just be a little bit better than yesterday. Yeah. Uh, here's the other thing that uh, both times I've read this book. Why is the story about the duck the worst part of this book? It's incredible to me uh-huh. that the death of that duck uh-huh. is so horrifying after you know, as you said, 400 pages of mm-hmm. terrible abuse of humans, yeah. Yeah. war stories. Mm-hmm. There's nothing worse that you can hear than a war story. Mm-hmm. And there's something about that duck that just breaks you when you read mm-hmm. it. For readers who have not read this, uh, there is a duck who's mm-hmm. sort of sort of a mascot of yeah. a prisoner of war camp yeah. who yeah. is obscenely violated by mm-hmm. one of the captors and then dies. Mm-hmm. And I and and Louis himself says that it was the worst mm. thing he saw in the war. It's it's more it's less about the duck itself because animals are a dime a dozen, right? You're just like why people are like why why are you so sad about your dog? Buy another dog, right? Right. But I think it's the symbolism of the duck where it was like, hey, this is this duck is a symbol of our hope and like what we have to work toward and gives us a 
you know, that sense of purpose, right? Like Victor Frankl's man search for meaning. Hey, you know what? We love this duck. It's a part of our family now. And so for the captors to recognize that and, and, and kill morale by killing the duck, uh, you know, unfortunately, right. Like you're like, I will, I will take a, you know, I will take hits. I will be happy to suffer, but don't get my kids involved. Right. So same thing. Right. Yeah. It's the symbolism behind it more, more so than anything else I can appreciate because you're right. That is a, tough thing. And there are a lot of tough moments in that book. Jerry, tell me what you're reading right now. There's a book called The Plot that I I finished recently. I just got it from the library. Yeah. Yeah. Someone else Um, on the podcast recommended it. Yeah. Yeah. I just, it was just, uh, yeah, it's by John Hamp Curlitz. Yeah. And, uh, I, I was like, you know, it's available. Let me just listen to it, see what it's about. And, um, yeah, I, I did not expect to enjoy it as much as I did because I'm just like, yeah, yeah, let me give it a listen. What um, is it about? Uh, it's about this guy, uh, like this author who's struggling. He teaches a writing class and then like this student who's like got this terribly inflated ego has like, he's like, ah, you know, this class is crap. I have a really great story. Um, the guy mysteriously dies and, you know, this teacher's like, oh, well, you know, I don't want a story to go to waste. Right. And then so he, you know, claims it for himself, gets the fame that comes with it because it is a really good story. But then he gets mysterious messages that claim that they know that he's a fraud and you see all the all the things that unfold as a result of it. So, yeah, really, really well done. Just keeping me guessing until the end as to what happened. That seems like it would be a great one on audio. Oh, yeah, that's definitely one I'd recommend. Um, Yeah. Other stuff I like. uh, I remember when I listened to Ender's Game for the first time. Uh, that was really, really good. Um, the book itself is great, but the audio is a bonus because the author talks about how, you know, he imagined this as like some kind of like fifties radio drama with like, you know, voice acting and things like that. So the audio version is really, really good. Well, Jerry, this has been really fun talking to you. I hope you'll come back anytime you have a book you want to tell me about. Will you tell my listeners where they can find you and the work that you do? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, like LinkedIn is the one social media handle I have right now, but all the best stuff happens at my website, which is www.adaptingleaders.com. Um, I have a free guide you can download, uh, giving you a simple framework to handle difficult conversations. You can schedule a complimentary 30 minute call, uh, just to experience what coaching can do for you or check out the blog. That's also free where I summarize, you know, useful and interesting leadership books, um, and also just offer other life hacks in general and such. And for the time being, I still have a monthly book discussion I call coaching by the book where we mm. network, uh, for a little bit, I do a book summary and then we have some facilitated discussion. Uh, that's 10 bucks a person really, you know, that's, that's a steal. Please jump on before I change my mind and hike up the prices, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, www.adaptingleaders.com. Uh, yeah. And see what you think. Super. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jerry. Absolutely. What do you think, bookworms? Could you survive a hardship like Louis Zamperini did? Do you enjoy reading about these true survival tales? I personally love reading them, but I honestly do not think I could do it. I would love to hear your thoughts about this conversation. Let me know on Instagram at Best Book Ever Podcast. I look forward to hearing what you think. Remember, you can find links to all the books we discussed in the show notes or at my website, bestbookeverpodcast.com. And if you have a book you want to tell me about, click on the Be a Guest button on my website or Instagram bio, and we can chat. Thanks so much for joining me today, and I will see you at the library.